Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 109 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got Bill Sutton, Director of Services. Bill, you still got 7,000 hours of project-ready work coming at you? Pretty much. It's what it seems like these days, which is a good, good problem to have, I guess. Good problem to have. Still a problem, though. So if you're listening and you would like to be on a digital workspace and user compute, hardcore focused on that industry and beyond uh, team, then reach out and let Zintegra know. Yeah, exactly. You get to work with Bill, who is an awesome and knowledgeable um, manager, which is, you know, not what everybody else has. We we have someone who's uh, good at managing and also knows how the stuff works, which, <laughs> believe it or not, that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> Uh, okay, Bill, I'm going to do this to both of you guys. I'm, I am using an LG all-in-one thin client and using a Zoom custom partition in iGel to do this one. I really want to do it through my virtual desktop, but I was having a, a crash, um, not a Citrix issue, not a Windows issue, but a, a browser issue earlier. Um, got that dreaded, do you want to wait for the whatever thing to run before it would move on? Uh, what, are you, what are you using to record the podcast? It's okay if you're using a fat PC, laptop, whatever. What are you using? I'm using a fat laptop currently. I have done it using Teams through a or Zoom through a VDI, but I wasn't using that today. In Zintegra world, and I'm an idiot for not knowing this, uh, Zoom offload, if you have the right pieces in the VDI and on your endpoint and the endpoint's windows, does that currently work? Do we have that turned on and working? I believe so, yes. Last time I did, I did it, it worked fine. Yeah. Yeah, I got to go test that again and see if it's working or turned yeah. on. We're like the cobbler, right? We have shoes for our kids, but they're not the best shoes because we're too busy doing it everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. So Jeremy Myers is with us. Jeremy is the director of uh, sales engineering for the Southeast for Citrix. How's it going? Uh, first of all, thanks for the promotion. Uh, but second of all, um, that is true. I cover the Southeast. I'm not a director yet, but one of these days, maybe. Uh, it's promoted. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. You. If you could nudge, if you could nudge my W two, that'd be awesome too. <laughs> uh, I don't even know who you report to anymore. Um, I wrote Eric Bishop, actually. Long, oh, long time guy. Yeah. yeah, you know Eric. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just, so many people I got thinking. Man. All right, so what? Uh, what's your device endpoint story? Um, so right now I am fat. Um, for this zoom call here. Um, I, I do have two virtual desktops open right now. So I have my Citrix desktop, which I use quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I use it for team calls. I use it for a lot of, and this kind of plays into our conversation today. I use it a lot for internal web apps for sure. So a lot of our, um, you know, engineering dashboards, a lot of our, um, some of the Tableau dashboards, they only exist internal, right? So the only way you can get to them is to tunnel through, and I'm using the word tunnel specifically, but it's not really tunnel, but it is really right. tunnel. Uh, mm-hmm. through uh, an application, also Windows mm-hmm. uh, being an application. To, that's the only way you have access to those things. Correct. On the way in. Um, and then I have a second environment that is my team's uh, lab environment. And so we're going through configuring some things for AVD, Adaptive Auth, some other things like that. But, you know, that's completely separate and irrelevant outside of me just wanting to name drop that we're, you know, doing some of that stuff as well and tinkering with the new features that we have with, uh, which looks like our topic today, secure private access. So, well, you know, I, to me, it's it's not irrelevant, right? Because it's first of all, you got to use your own stuff. And I can't tell you how many companies we work with where I try to impress them with the idea that we're using our own stuff, and it just goes right by. And I'm like, no, you have to understand this because when time comes, you need to use your own stuff. 
And if you're running around on a $2,000 laptop, expecting your users to use a virtual desktop and you're not using it, you know, shame on you. And at the same time, your team has to have a lab. I, I don't know how many clients we have that, that have a, you know, a single machine catalog, maybe, mm-hmm. and that's their lab. And you're like, that, that just won't get it done. There's too, too many intricacies these days. Well, I'll tell you what, right? So when I first started at Citrix, by the way, this is 10 years at Citrix. So I don't want to make you feel old, Andy, but it occurred to me as I was sitting at the 10-year anniversary of Zintegra that this might be my 10 years at Citrix. And of course it was, and I got the email. Um, so that was fun. But I, I remember back when I first started and I wanted a lab and here's what that looked like. I went and bought like three, I want to say small form factor shovel PCs, something I could slap in, some CPU, a whole lot of RAM and some solid state drives, right? Because I wanted to run Zen server. I wanted to have a pool and I wanted to, uh, you know, tee all this stuff up. The biggest challenge I had at the time was trying to figure out the Microsoft licensing, right? Because I didn't have RDS cows. So that meant I had to rebuild Zen app servers literally every, what was it, 180 days? Anyways, long story short, um, I, I remember how hard it was for me to give up that on-prem lab environment because I've got space in Azure now, right? And so we'll build some things in Azure, stand it up, tear it down, multiple different catalog types and those sorts of things, just because, man, folks are just, they're, they're asking, first of all, I just want to know how things work. We all want to know how things work, but you know, some of the scenarios customers kind of put in front of us, it's nice that we have a more flexibility now because it's in a hyperscaler like Azure um, that we can go tinker with. So it was really cool. Yeah. I love that comment, but as a person who's been dealing with a customer over the weekend and today uh, that's like, okay, tell me exactly what to do but then scope out all the options, like all the options. Do you know what you just said? I mean, it's, it's like, you know, and then, so at the end of the day, and they were very open to it. Um, at the end of the day, we just told them, Hey, this is our blueprint. This is where we want to go with you. Mm-hmm. Like this. Great. If you want to deviate some great, if you want to completely overhaul it, but for us to, you know, be able to guarantee you a price and guarantee you a, a solution that works, we really need to follow this blueprint. And they were all, and, and then we started talking about, you know, two nines versus four nines. And all of a sudden they got, they're like, no, it doesn't matter. Two nines is great. I mean, it's not great, but it's really, really good. And mm-hmm. the truth is we're not going to know the difference between two and three nines. Probably not. What's that? 12 hours, 16 hours, something like that. The difference between two nines and five nines, I forget, but it's, it's something like that. Yeah. And that's over the course of a year. So let me put that in perspective, but yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Well, and guys, um, we have picked for today. The following topic. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and as I was looking, I was looking at this one on the left from five days ago, introduction to Citrix adaptive authentication. I want to come back and do that one, guys. So mm-hmm. put that on the list for next week. Ooh, we might have that configured for next week, too. So that might be fun for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be hot off the top, hot off the presses mm-hmm. uh, in your lab. Okay. So, but for this week, uh, another one by Stephen uh, Bills, I think it's pronounced that way. Uh, former Citrix sales engineer, but now a product manager, I believe. Uh, this one, Citrix Features Explained. So we're staying in that series and it's increased app security with Citrix Secure Private Access. Um, we want to go through that one today. So Jeremy, can you kind of just tee us up by telling us you know, what this is, why it matters? So um, in a nutshell, it's protecting access to public, ad- and this is Right off the right off the bat, this is really what it, what it does, right? So we're protecting access to public SaaS apps, right? What does that mean? A public website, right? So if you're a user of say Salesforce, right? You know, how as an organization do you protect that outside of things like single sign-on, right? Um, private web access. Um, so what if that 
SaaS app, that website, that app that you're delivering um, exists internally. And then lastly, um, client server application access, right? So, you know, something that involves a client, like a fat client, um, and then some sort of backend, right? Honestly, something that might represent a traditional Citrix app, you know, you might have a scenario where, you know, you want to protect that outside of a traditional Zenabs and desktop deployment, which maybe that's a good conversation in itself, because that still might not make sense. But really, that's what we're talking about with, you know, SPA, secure private access is, you know, protecting public, private, and even client server apps if you need to. Well, let's, let's dig on the first one a little bit. So, and I'll be very specific here because I can't tell you how many people in the Citrix world don't know what you guys do for SaaS apps. Yeah. And that's probably one of the most future-proofing pieces of your business. And I've kind of blamed that on the success on the x86 side of the house. Um, yeah. Some people are just, just stuck in that world and don't realize that they've got to have some of those same features and beyond for the, the SaaS, the you know, browser right application, in this case, public facing. So um, mm-hmm. so this topic simply is how to strengthen SaaS um, software as a service app security with public software as a service app access. And you'll see me do that occasionally. I'll just, I, I quit with the acronyms because to be frank, a lot of people get caught up in the acronyms and when you ask them what they mean, they don't actually know. Right. Uh, and that's probably the same well, the same thing goes for a SaaS app, right? I just think we assume folks know what a SaaS app is, but at the end of the day, what are we talking about? A public website, you know, for instance, right? So if your app, if your organization runs off of, you know, Microsoft Dynamics, if it runs off of Salesforce, if it runs off, things, I mean, these are all SaaS apps, right? And you're just, organization is delivering up a website to their users for their application access. That's what we're talking about here. And the chances that you would take today a Dynamics and you bring it in-house and deliver it through a browser, but do it privately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost unheard of. It used to be pretty common, but now it's almost unheard of. Well, and there's still some apps out there like that, right? So for instance, take Oracle. You know, the ERP is probably installed. You know, it could be the cloud version, but you know, we got a lot of folks running that internally. SAP. SAP. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a that's a big mammoth app, right? And so folks are, you know, struggling to get that, you know, into the SAP cloud. So apps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, we still have customers running Windows XP. So if you think that you know, folks are going to go to the cloud with some of these things. It's just it's going to take a lot of effort because there's a lot of technical debt there, honestly. Right. So let me let me do this first, and then we'll let you and Bill both comment on this. So, SaaS it all starts with single identity, if possible, that allows you to multi-factor authenticate. That then enables you for single sign-on into everywhere you want to go after that. And if you want to, you can even turn off single sign-on and force them to re-authenticate. But there's a balance between, okay, I want to make it easy, single identity. I want to make it secure, multi-factor. I want to make it easy and secure, single sign-on. And I could even turn that up a level if need be. Is that basically what Citrix is providing or is there something beyond that that we're talking about here with the public SaaS offerings? So Citrix can provide all those things you just described, Mm -hmm. but they can also take that a step further, right? So I think to sort of be in the space right now, you have to provide or be able to provide that single sign-on. You have to be able to provide that second factor as a way of protecting the front door of that app. I would argue, you know, forcing users to re-authenticate might be less secure than doing the single sign-on in the sense that, you know, now here's another password a user's got to remember. Um, if you're like my dad, you're probably going to use the same password several different locations. So, so there's a security challenge in itself. 
Um, but, on, but on top of that, it's just multiple attack services you've opened up. So when you do single sign-on, if you can just pull pull back the user's ability to manage their own password and, and just put that behind a single identity with multi-factor, I think you've gone a long way. But yes, at the very least, that is step one. But there are some additional things we can do, and we can get into that. So my, my comment on the uh, re-authenticate piece was after like a timeout type thing. And I guess at that point, you're right. back to the single identity to come right back through again. Mm-hmm. So any uh, any thoughts, comments on how this is playing out? And do you see our customers implementing this across the board or is it still just one-offs that get? It's it's, it's mostly one-offs at this point. I, I think, to be honest with you, that my view is that a lot of customers don't really know that the, that Citrix offers this at this level and at the, at the level that Jeremy's about to go into, the, the items that are, go beyond just SSO because to Jeremy's point, um, having the ability to use single identity, single sign-on, um, multi-factor, those, those, those are the entry points. You've got to have that. That's, those are the got-to-haves. And then what Citrix provides is really provides in addition to that is where I think the real added value is. And there's lots of security elements that go along with that that we'll get into. Uh, but I don't think that your average customer, I think they, they, many of them still see Citrix as the VDI play. Um, and that's obviously still a very solid play, but there's a lot more that, 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 this technology in particular can do uh, than than what they've been doing. Well, and I want to call out that um, you know it's it, customers thinking to use Citrix for SaaS apps and protection yep. for SaaS apps. I mean, part of what we talked about before is just want to highlight that Citrix actually has that single that uh, single identity, single sign-on, multi-factor challenge piece all within the product. And a lot of people are looking to third parties, which is fine. It's just going to be able to work with those too. Um, but I mean, it's in the product you're already buying and paying for. Um, you don't have to look elsewhere for just the basic things we've talked about so far. Right. That's true. And so I think a lot of our conversations with customers who are longtime customers is just exposing them to what they already own. Right. So they don't realize that you know, a lot, in a lot of cases, this is functionality they've already got. Um, if you've got an ADC, I mean, even if you're not using a cloud service, this is something that we've done in some capacity for a long time. Um, and again, just serving up web apps. I mean, that is the number one published application in Citrix today. You know, the non, you know, SAS, the non SPA stuff we're talking about here, a web browser, publishing an internal web app or even potentially a public web app. I mean, folks are doing that today um, mm-hmm. for some, some of the security reasons that, you know, we haven't gotten into yet, but um, just being able to protect that data uh, is pretty important to, to to customers. Yeah. So, Jeremy, what beyond single identity, single sign-on, multi-factor, when it comes to public SaaS, what else can you do with Citrix to take that security story to another level? So, let me let me ask you this question: What security reasons were customers deploying Citrix? I say Citrix, virtualized Windows applications, or even Linux applications? Like, why did they do this in the past? Well, to be honest, most of the time it was that case we're going to talk about a minute ago, in a minute where it's private apps and that's the only way you could get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was uh, performance reasons. It mm-hmm. is it is historically in my world been very rare that they did it for security reasons, even though they got the security benefits of it by doing it the way they felt like they needed to, had to. They got security benefits they may, may or may not even recognize well, so I think in, in some customers, I've seen um, sort of a delineation when they're rationalizing their apps and they're looking what's out there. They'll go, hey, there are certain apps in our portfolio that need some additional levels of security. I get that. And then sometimes it doesn't matter, right? I just need to get this app in front of this user. I'm not so concerned around you know, managing 
printing or copy and paste. You know, some of this will fall into whatever industry and regulation that you need to protect for. But when you look at that application portfolio, they realize there's a few that do and here's a few that don't. But the fact that we can enable some of those controls on those applications has been a big selling point for a long time. And so what we're noticing is two things. One, um, what if we could provide that same level of control to web and SaaS apps, even apps that aren't hosted within your data center, that are those SaaS apps that are public facing? And then secondly, you know, still provide that same rationalization. Listen, there are some apps that I just don't care about, right? You know, getting you into you know, Salesforce, for instance, I might want to lock that down potentially. I'm not saying I need to, but I can provide copy and paste and I can provide, um, you know, printing restrictions and things like that. I can also turn on things like, you know, anti-key logging, right? So if I want to protect the user as they're logging into this app from a local browser, you know, maybe I can do that as well, right? So, you know, I think just being able to rationalize and turn on some of those additional controls that we've had for Windows apps that we've published to SaaS apps is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, understanding the need of those things like a uh, watermark, like a mm-hmm. key logging, like turning off printing, turning off copy paste, turning off mm-hmm. download. Yeah, this is my one I use all the time. If I use it on the podcast before, please forgive me. But, you know, Wikilinks, had he only had access through ICA, that wouldn't happen. He'd have to take in mm-hmm. screenshots of 10,000 documents instead of just a uh, download. And had it been, in the world of Citrix today, even the download piece, we would have seen that happening and could have taken action. So we could have restricted the ability to do screenshots unless they wanted to take pictures of his monitor, right? Yeah. That's true. But, you know, to take it a step further, and this goes into to probably more of the SBA stuff, but, you know, being able to go beyond single sign-on and MFA to, you know, what we call adaptive auth, but really it's kind of like a contextual access, right? So being able to posture the device before you give them access to that SaaS app. So what kind of device, you know, whatever, you know, where are you coming from, you know, and just tying that into even our own security analytics story. So being able to say, hey, based on your risk score to the organization, maybe even, you know, turn that application off and on, or at least enable additional security controls based on your your risk score. You know, these are all things that you can do and you can do that with something that's not even hosted in your data center, which is pretty powerful. Absolutely. I want to come back kind of like the old EPA concept, but to the next level. It is absolutely the EPA concept, but to the next level. Yep. And, and uh, the next level and from a different, I mean, the conceptual stuff's the same, uh, mm-hmm. but it's coming from somewhere else. And it's coming right. through this browser thing that, you know, isn't the same as this. I mean, look, in a lot of times using Citrix to provide access to an application, some of the security intangibles was just the fact that all you got was the application and you had to find a way to break out of it if you mm-hmm. could. Right. Well, and, and, and well, and just to tag team on that. So, you know, even once you're in that web or SaaS app, being able to do things like isolate links out of that 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 access. So, for instance, if I go into like a Salesforce and you know there's a link um, buried in that Salesforce page and I click it, being able to say, hey, listen, what's the status? What's the posture of this link? Is this something I trust? Is there something I don't trust? You know, maybe maybe it just opens up in a different browser tab or you know, I can turn on a feature called browser isolation, which will launch that link in a containerized browser so that, listen, it's not going to impact either, A, what's in Salesforce, or, you know, if this is an internal web app, you know, that's not going to impact something in my data center. So I can isolate traffic uh, depending on the posture of things like embedded links, which is pretty pretty slick. Hey, what's the um, likelihood these days that a, a Rike or a Salesforce or a Workday or a Concur has the ability to turn off public access that doesn't come through 
this digital workspace and takes advantage of the um, the Citrix or somebody else's offering? So it's, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, Bill, but you know, for a lot of these apps, it's pretty common that you could whitelist and blacklist access from certain locations. Like I know, um, maybe this is with Office 365. I mean, you can you can whitelist and blacklist where traffic can come from. So for instance, you could say, hey, I'm not gonna allow users to hit my website directly from their local browser, from wherever they're at. But you know, if they're coming in through the data center or they're coming in through a certain you know location, we will allow access. So you, I don't know if this is what you're asking, Andy, but being able to partition off where folks can access from means the only way to access some of these applications is from this digital workspace. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm asking. I'm, I'm okay. Forcing us to have to use this digital workspace um, in some cases is the only way we're ever going to get control over it happening. Well, I think my dev- back to the single identity SSO concept, you know, that mm-hmm. you cannot get into Salesforce unless you authenticate via Azure AD or some other identity provider. And if you can't go to salesforce.com and enter your credentials, there are no, you don't know what they are. I think mm-hmm. that's one way, but with adaptive auth is the ability to say, if you're, if you're coming from this IP range, you're allowed. If you're not coming from that IP range, you're not allowed. If your device is of a certain type or, you know, what, what, what have you, then you can get to the application. If, if you don't have that, then you can't get to the application and so on. Well, you know, the other thing too, and maybe this is where Andy was going, is, you know, your tra- the traffic to that SaaS app might not be able to be sourced from your local machine directly. So for instance, one of my favorite demos is, you know, I'll publish IP chicken, you know, into Workspace. And I've got a secured and unsecured version. And if I run the unsecured version, it shows the IP address of my local machine, right? But if I run the secured version, what I'm doing is I'm forcing it to go through my data center and proxy through that data center mm-hmm. to, to hit IP chicken. So it will show the IP address of the data center. So in other words, you know, I can restrict the ability of a user to access directly from the endpoint. You're forced to go through the data center, all the security controls, anything you might have running there as well before you access that, that traffic. Now, does that in- introduce some latency? Probably a little bit. Depends on the app. But, you know, again, there's another security control you can enable, you know, in that scenario. So we, we really, in our world, have two options. One, we can make it so great in the digital workspace world with single identity, multi-factor challenge, but single sign-on after that, that they want to use it, which mm-hmm. is what we try to do as Integra. Mm-hmm. But I noticed at the end of the day, I've still got very smart people in my company that are going out and logging into everything, creating links on their browser, on their computer, and, and then creating the same links on their home computer. And then uh, we've got multi-factor turned on everywhere, but they're, they're building their own system around it. And I'm like, why don't you just use what we sell? And the only way I'm ever going to get us all there is to turn off the ability to go around us. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of, a lot, like to your point, so Reich, you know, Salesforce, some of these sites can do that today. Just whitelist, blacklist, where can this traffic come from? Yep. And, well, in some cases, it's not like Bill said, if you don't know your password, then you have to go to the workspace. You can't, you know, you can't type it in directly because you just don't know. Yeah. Hey, did we hit on in this topic, the ability, you, you mentioned the sandbox browser. Um, I don't know that we mentioned the browser as a service yet. I, I think it applies here. We use it, we use it for demo purposes for our Salesforce within our workspace, as well as our Outlook. Um, but, uh, you know, the sandbox browser, that's part of your workspace app, as well as the browser as a service, which is, you know, uh, Chromium running on a Linux machine in Azure reboots back to a gold image. It, that applies as one of the stories here too, right? It does. It does. And 
I guess I don't necessarily delineate when I talk about the isolated browser. So we do have a service that is hosted by Citrix. It is basically a Zen app delivered. I say Zen app. It is a virtual app running a browser that's 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 taking that link and isolating it for you. But there is a browser built into the Workspace app. In fact, uh, it's Chromium based. It's actually super fast and. Um, honestly, the user experience based on the first version we had is pretty impressive. In fact, sometimes I forget that it's not, you know, it's not Chrome, or at least my, not my local Chrome browser. Dumb question for me. Is there a way to call that browser from the Workspace app other than being redirected by the Workspace itself? Ask that one more time. Let me let me think through that as you're saying it. Right click. If you can see my screen here, which I think you can. Like, is there a way um, to actually call the uh, sandbox browser or is it simply a matter of publishing something and it being told, use the local sandbox browser to, to do this under these conditions? Right now, it, it, you have to call a link that pulls up the browser. Um, but I'll be honest, I wish we would add that functionality. I don't know if it's on the roadmap, but I would love to pull up just that sandbox browser because it's that good. And on my computer here, I'm essentially doing that. I've got Chromium, um, part of my iGel solution that you can probably see on the screen here, but it's not not the same as a truly isolated sandbox browser. This one is a part of the iGel sandbox, which is not, I don't think that part's totally read-only. That that is that can have some residuals. Uh are you showing it, Andy? I can't see it. Maybe I'm well, maybe I, I forgot to use forgot to use a computer. No, 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 you're good now. How about now? Oh, there we are. Yep, I got you. That's my real world. I go to desktop. I got four desktops. I really should have one or two, but I own the company, therefore I have four. Um, but I've got workspace right here. I would love to be able to just call a you know generic sandbox browser and know that inside that app, I've created this uh, you know truly isolated, go away when I close it world, and I'm in control of it. The best I have right now in this iGel unit, at least, is to use the the, the Chromium. That's included as part of IGEL. Yeah, we don't we don't have that just yet. Um, the browser service does that. I think there's, I don't think there's residuals on the Workspace app, but I also can't just call that Workspace app either. Not yet. I have to so call a, a link first. I click on Chrome browser secure, and it's going to probably use your Chrome service, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have what I need. It just takes another click or two, but that's okay. Yeah, I think that, and I think this is probably calling the service too. Yeah, like you said, we'll be able to tell because we'll see the desktop viewer toolbar inside. We'll we'll see a we'll see an old school Citrix launch, but fast uh, and very lightweight. Yeah, yeah. See how it kind of drags around. And, and even though this is an isolated browser, um, we still got the ability to proxy into your data center. So if you got an internally hosted web app, we can still present that inside of that isolated browser. So we've got a you know, we got an appliance that sits in your data center called the connector appliance, and it does all of that proxy for you, which is uh, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. I think what we're really talking about in this whole conversation is Citrix is a massive security company and security play. It's mm -hmm. just, it's not the ecosystem you guys want to go disrupt every other partner of yours in the ecosystem. So you don't, you don't uh, talk about it as much as you could. And because it takes one extra level of thinking to get people there, a lot of people don't come to their own conclusions. So I think we could do a better job of just understanding. When I say we, I mean you know Citrix. We could do a better job of understanding the applications that our that our customers are deploying outside of what I'm going to use air quotes Citrix, right? 
Um, so we'll focus in on, in fact, sometimes customers, just because they don't know, we'll just assume we're talking about what they're delivering with Citrix. And they'll tell us what that is. And we'll talk through their use cases and things like that. Who are their user groups, their scenarios. But then we don't always go next level and go, well, what are you delivering outside of Citrix? You know, and sometimes that's a, um, sometimes it's a question that our, our normal contacts don't know. Um, but sometimes it's just, they haven't thought of, well, heck yeah. I mean, I've got all these public websites that I'm sending folks to. I never really thought of that. Here's what we're using, right? So that's just an easy conversation to have. Well, if, if I could put on my transparent hat with you real quick, I think one of your problems is a lot of partners like Zintegra, they're happy to sell the Citrix solution, but also want to sell all these other security plays that if you executed the Citrix play correctly, you wouldn't be able to sell all the other stuff. So a lot of times the message never lands. Just my thought. On, on the flip side of the flip side, I, I might say that, you know, I think security in general is a layered approach. And so, I mean, I think there's space to layer in what Citrix can do from this solution into maybe some of those. I know we're, not, we're getting very specific here, but, you know, what some of those other solutions are. Uh, because, again, there's not one solution that does security across the board. And, you know, a lot of our conversations with customers is where does Citrix and what we're doing play into maybe their existing security strategy? You know, what do we where do we meet some layers and are we going to display some products? Probably. But on the flip side, I think we're going to find that we need to integrate nicely with some of these other products as well. I mean, listen, I'll use Okta as a great example. Right. So understanding what Okta does and understanding the value there, uh, I think there's a great story. I mean, we can leverage and integrate Okta into the workspace. In fact, we do it at Citrix today. Yeah. But understanding what that solution does and where they layer together is pretty important. Hey, Bill, would you like to see the antivirus I'm running on this iGel read-only unit? Sure. Okay, where do I find it? This is a trick question. <laughs> I just don't need it, right? But if I sold you a Windows endpoint, guess what? I could sell you antivirus for the VDI and for the endpoint. And well, That's right. This is not the right part. Okay, uh, next one is increase private web app security without disrupting UX or user experience. Again, acronyms everywhere. Uh, how does private web app compare to SaaS, Jeremy? I don't know why, why are we using different terms this time? Um, let me get down into that here real quick. Um, First in sentence, SaaS. Oh, yeah, never mind. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just an internal SaaS app is what it is. So, yeah. you know, obviously there are public websites and this is a private website. So how do you grant access uh, to those those apps. So what what did we do in the past? We published a browser. We published or Chrome, IE, whatever, right? Or, or a desktop. And that's how we granted access. So now, um, you know, we could provide just a link on that same workspace that proxies you right into it without the virtualization piece. Not needing a yeah. desktop, not, not needing Windows in the background to host it. Well, you kind of talked about this a while ago when you talked about actually publishing a secure browser service that has a backdoor into your environment. You've got external access to your internal. And without, without having to instantiate a VPN client, a virtual private network client on your endpoint, right? Correct. So I, I think, so the answer is yes. So for public websites, um, you know, absolutely. For private websites, um, absolutely. Um, you know, when we get into VPNs, you know, I think that maybe is a, Maybe we'll save that one for the next one when we talk about client server apps, but you, you're a, correct. It's a, it's a clientless access. It's a reverse proxy into an internal website and you're right. protecting it because there's nothing about that internal website that's exposed. I had a uh, conversation with a college computer science kid, super smart. And I tried to explain some of this the other day, sitting on the back porch over a beer. And, um, and he got, oh, like a VPN. 
And I'm like, get <laughs> that thought out of your mind. If you ever use a VPN going forward, you're doing it wrong. Just remember I said that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm just impressed that he knew what a VPN was. I think we're starting to trend away from that, generally speaking. At least I hope we are. Well, he's doing his college internship. They just hired him full time because he's so awesome. He's still in college. Yeah. Um, but they're so far behind. They're 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 poisoning the water hole. That's how I would say. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, when you think about how VPNs work, right? Um, you know, you've created a tunnel um, from that endpoint into the data center. Are we talking uh, about the VPN I had in 1997 or the one I could have right now? Um, so to be fair, VPNs haven't changed that much. They might have. They might have transitioned from like IPsec to SSL, but at the end of the day, it still does the same thing, which is open up a tunnel to the data center, which, by the way, um, is an explicit allow, right? And so IT's got to go in, the security team's got to go in and actually create uh, access control list and say, hey, this is what you can't do once you've connected. And that's what we call leaky, which means that's hard to maintain. Like, how do you know, you know, what's new that you need to go block? So you know, I think what we're doing with our ZTNA, our secure private access with what we're calling the zero trust network access is it's an explicit deny. And then you got to go turn on what's allowed through, which is much, much different. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about zero trust real quick? Cause we, Jeremy, we, you and I may. and Bill to build to some degree, but you and I live in a place where a lot of folks from the North have moved to the South, correct? Um, you were not wrong. Is it fair to say that most people from the North have a zero trust posture that people from the South are just now starting to understand? We're not even talking about technology, are we? Just general, no. just life <laughs> viewpoints. <laughs> I've, I've got a, a friend of mine now that uh, lives, has a condo, same, same place I do. And her name is Linda. And I met her. Uh, and then three days later, I approached Linda again. And she was guard up immediately because she didn't remember meeting me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I went up to give her a hug. And, and she, bought, she was about to call the police on me. Because she so had no idea. So what you needed to do in a zero trust world is reauthenticate yourself with her so that she knows. That's right. You yeah. know, maybe, maybe MFA with some knowledge that we met before. <laughs> well, I should have approached her and said, Hey, nice meeting you Sunday night at the homeowners association meeting. I'm Andy. Good to see you again. Now can I have a hug? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that needs to be until the algorithm realizes who you are based on the analytics. Yeah. Man, you know what? We could really run with this idea if we let ourselves. <laughs> but that's what this is all about. It's about it is. coming from a world where you know there's bad stuff happening and you have a guard that you takes two or three authentications before you let it down a little bit. I actually really like that. I'm going to steal that. That's good. That is true. So what have we not covered here in the zero trust world of private web apps, a.k.a. private SaaS, that we still need to cover? Um, you know, I would I would layer on because this is internal. Uh, these web apps that we're talking about are internal. Uh, it still doesn't dis it doesn't change the need to protect the web app itself, right? So even though I've provided access, um, I mean, listen, folks could still script it, right? You could still find a way in and maybe do some cross site scripting, all the things that you would normally use a web app firewall for. So just just build an awareness around the fact that you know, even though you've allowed access, you know, this is still something internal your network you need to protect. So the same reason you deployed ADCs in the past is the same reason you'll need to deploy an ADC or, you know, we've got ADC as a service now, protect that application, you know, with some sort of, uh, you know, web app firewall, you know, or, or even more importantly these days, protect the API. 
So I thought I was going to show you that I, uh, I'm i in what I put up on the screen here is my uh, non-persistent GPU-enabled VDI. And until right now, uh, Buzzsprout, which is what I use to post the podcast, was blocked mm-hmm. because it was considered, you know, uh, social media consumer or something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's firewall, app firewall related things, inbound and outbound, outbound in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff still matters. And, and I, I could show you um, in my tray running here. I have the Citrix uh, workspace app, so I could use that to have rules that prevent where I can go to once I've gotten to here, which is my kind of jumping off point. I still need to have control where I go after that. And Citrix is enabling both the access and the security on both pieces of the equation at the same time. Oh, and by the way, nice background wallpaper. I love that. I love the red ball. <laughs> It's missing the Citrix one though. I couldn't find exactly the one I wanted. <laughs> and I know you've probably heard me say this 10 times. I've probably seen the podcast. I had the original Red Bull meeting at the NASCAR team. Uh, this was my and, and Ben Greaves idea long before Citrix and the Formula One team did it. Oh my, man. I'd love to hear that story at some point. That's yeah. interesting. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on, the next section, and I think it's our last section, really says uh, simplify secure remote user access to private client server apps. Okay. We've talked about public SaaS, we've talked about internal private SaaS. What is this part talking about? So, this is, um, think of it almost like a First of all, let me let me take a step back and say, um, for performance reasons, this might not be a great idea for a lot of client server applications. So, you know, right. think about how folks are using VPNs today, right? So I establish a VPN tunnel. Um, I fire up the local on my local machine, the client side of a server, client server app, and then I'm hitting, you know, the the server app in the data center, right? So, sort of the anti version of what we've deployed Citrix for for years. You know, the idea of putting the client right next to the server in the data center to make the performance better. There might be some scenarios where you need to put the client on the endpoint, or that's maybe that's just how it works, and. You want to provide access back in, right? So we talked about VPNs a little little bit ago where you, you fire up a VPN and it's almost like an explicit allow. Um, so this is zero trust network access. So this is like a restricted VPN where once you've connected, um, it's an, a, an explicit you know, disallow. Um, so you can't pass traffic and you've got to go in and actually mm-hmm. allow traffic. So for instance, if I wanted to allow you know, secure shell because I'm an IT admin, I can fire a putty on my local machine through this this service here, connect into maybe a server back in the data center, but the only thing I'm allowing through is, you know, port 22 for secure shell. Um, you know, we point out maybe, you know, exchange here or potentially SQL, um, same idea applies. But again, at the end of the day, you got to figure out what makes sense to do something like this because you might impact performance, but uh, it's like a more secure VPN is essentially what it is. And to take it a step further, we can layer on all of the zero trust access as well. So, for instance, the the multi-factor, the endpoint analysis, um, you know, just adding additional security controls. That's all a part of this access as well. Uh, and more importantly, you know, some of the uh, the security analytics that we can factor in as well. So, where you're coming from, you know, that might, um, you know, the posture of your machine might let us know whether or not you can, you know, access at all. But this is what we're talking about here. This is client-server access. With the client on your machine, the server back in the data center, and providing that access back in. And is that client we're talking about really just the Citrix Workspace app? Um, today, it's not. Um, it's it's the it's actually a secure access client from Citrix that you would use to tie in. But I know the roadmap is to integrate that functionality in a Workspace app. It's just not there today. 
and, and I would add one word to what you're saying, doing all this and tying all the other stuff together intelligently, right? We can do it based mm-hmm. on endpoint analysis. We can do it on real yep. time, whatever you're accessing. Uh, it's, it's like you said, it, it, we're, we're zero trusting, but we can even get smart about when and where we trust things. Yep. And we can segment to specific apps too. So that, that's probably one of the, the key pieces here. Hey, Bill, do we have a single customer that's implemented this? Not all the way through, no. Actually, I can't think of one that's done even the basic secure private access. But yeah, do we have a bunch of customers that need to do this? Sure, yeah. They just don't know about it. I just don't know about it. I just I don't know how to fix it. I mean, <clears throat> I mean that's an assumption on my part. But you know they you know when they when they go to the grocery store and they they only want milk, that's that's what they're going to go looking for. They don't know that there's all kinds of other things available to them if, unless they look or pay attention. Yeah. So here, here's what I'll say. Um, we officially released um, secure private access uh, the beginning of April, right? So it's fairly fresh from a, from a SKU perspective. Now, granted, um, the things around C- um, single sign-on, multi-factor, publishing the web apps, I mean, this has been something that's been in workspace for a couple of years now. So not, not new. But when we talk about adaptive auth, that's a brand new feature that was just released you know, at the, at the beginning of the quarter, um, the zero trust network access that we just talked about, that private access for client server web apps, that's still tech preview. So that hasn't released just yet. So I guess what I'm saying, Andy, is I'm giving you a pass. But moving forward, we have no excuse. But I think any customer that's publishing a web browser to get to a SaaS app is ripe for this. And we have customers that do that today. Probably most of them. Yes. And many, of them. And all of them. Very many all of them. Yeah, all of them. And very many of them will use a published app or even a published desktop, as you said earlier, Jeremy, to get mm-hmm. to an internal web app or an internal application of some sort. Now, if you're talking about you know, on-premises dynamics or something like that, you're not going to want to use this. I don't think you're going to want to use this secure remote user access to client server because the chattiness of that app, the, the whole yeah. reason we did Citrix to begin with, or part of the reason of, mm-hmm. of delivering the, the, the access as close to the data is possible. We don't, you know, if we, if we go back a step and do that using the client server uh, concept here from the, you know, through secure private access, then it's not going to perform as well. But mm-hmm. for those that are, you know, completely web apps on-prem um, or completely SaaS apps, absolutely. But Bill, couldn't you argue that when you and I made those decisions back in the day, we were talking 56K dial-up modems in some cases, and now we've got bandwidth and latency that is just Near, it's it's faster than the land we had at the time. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. I think a lot of cases Citrix is a victim of its own success. Yeah, I told the story to someone else. You said fifty six k modems. I remember our first farm was a dial up modem bank in a oh, server. Yeah. Oh yeah, DL three eighty. Oh yeah, HP Net servers, DL three eighties, Digi boards. Yeah, you know the Digi board. That was the guy right there. Yeah. yeah. I remember I had a bank of like 15 modems and I'd go in there and hear all the squeaking and squawking. <laughs> That's how I knew it was all working. Yes, sir. All right, guys, we got yeah. four minutes left. I'll give it back to you. Thank you for joining and uh, we'll get this posted. And I'm going to share it with a couple of clients and my sales folks. It's like, you got to just have people watch this video, listen to the podcast, something. It's yeah. too valuable not to. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, Andy, always a pleasure. Till yeah. next time. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks.